Hello and welcome to Pridecast, the official podcast of Hofstra Athletics. Today we're excited to be joined by head men's lacrosse coach Seth Tierney. Coach Tierney is uh, in his 11th season here at Hofstra in 2016-17. Uh, and we are excited to have him on today as our guest. Thanks for listening and go Pride. Hello and welcome to Pridecast, the official podcast of Hofstra Athletics. Today we're joined by head men's lacrosse coach Seth Tierney. Coach Tierney, welcome. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Appreciate it. Now in your 11th year here at Hofstra University in 2016-17, how does it feel to be almost at a dozen years now? Yeah, it's been great. It's been a great run. Uh, Really thankful for Hofstra and the opportunity they've given me. Um, You know, again, we've we've gotten a lot accomplished in uh, in that first decade. And as we start this, this, now this second Second decade here. Um, there's still more things we want to accomplish, but uh, but good things on the horizon. Obviously, the you, you run a great program here, but today is more about you than it is about Hofstra Cross. But they're kind of intertwined at this point. But let's start growing up. Wantall, New York native, uh, MacArthur High School. Uh, talk about growing up in uh, Wantall and uh, and the. The growth of lacrosse for you was it almost predetermined because your last name was Tierney to play the sport, or was there a, were you a couple sport athletes growing up? Yeah, no, I uh, I enjoyed a lot of other sports and everything was going uh, going really well. Uh, I love basketball, um, love lacrosse. I played baseball in the Wantaw Levittown scenario growing up, and then uh, and one day I went over to my my grandmother's house on my father's side, and my uncle was there who uh, at that time he was coaching at Levittown Memorial, and uh, he decided that he was going to get me a red lacrosse stick uh, with my number um, uh, dyed into the head, and uh, he, uh, he hooked it. He hooked me into it pretty cleanly. Um, for one year, I, I played baseball and lacrosse, but because of the same season, it was just too hard. And then lacrosse, the excitement of it, kind of uh, taken me over. And what, I'm sorry, again, what year, what grade were you about that point? Oof, uh, Probably nineteen, uh, yeah. uh, maybe a- maybe nineteen eighty three, nineteen eighty four. You know, we got some uh, got into the early teens uh, with both sports, and then and then drifted. So you're in high school at this yeah, point, just about just starting okay. high school. So uh, at what point did uh, lacrosse, in your mind, know that you were actually very good at this sport and it was going to develop into something you could do in college? Didn't know. I just uh, I just liked that there was an opportunity. I liked the physical part of the game. I liked the skill part of the game. It kind of it kind of had everything that I was looking for. Um, it was new. And then once I kind of picked up the stick, certainly left-handed. I don't, I don't do much right-handed, but certainly left-handed. Um, I, I got some some uh, I want to say some instant success. And uh, you know, it's a very addictive sport. You can work on it on your own, uh, throwing the ball off the wall, throwing it into a goal, uh, whatever it may be and so it was easy to uh it was easy to get better because it was fun to start to work at it uh your recruitment uh do you remember who else was recruiting you why you obviously why you chose hopkins is uh probably an easy decision but uh do you (laughs) remember that your recruitment at all and what other schools were interested yeah there's uh i i i want to say that when we moved this last time, you know, my uh, my son and, and daughter uh, found a a big Manila envelope of of letters from other other schools, and um, I guess maybe that was the reason why we saved them was to see their reaction to it. And uh, you know, I was uh, I wasn't a big guy, uh, you know, obviously back then um, the rap on me was maybe a Division One stick and a Division Three body, um, but. I just fought. Uh, I got recruited by a lot of schools, uh, Virginia, Syracuse, Hopkins, um, North Carolina, you know, a lot of those places, Maryland, uh, UMass, Hofstra. Uh, went to uh, went on a lot of visits back then, and um, my uncle was the uh, one of the assistant coaches uh, at Hopkins. I remember being in my father's house, uh, going over there for dinner one night, and he had called, and he had said, you know, the or he had visited there. He goes, you know, it's time, you know, getting closer to making a decision. Are you going to come to Hopkins? And I said, of course. I said, you know, it's a dream of mine to go there and uh, and thank you. And he goes, um, yeah, good, good luck. And uh, I'm going to Princeton. So we never, we never. We <laughs> that never, really happened? That really happened. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, and I, I, I literally looked in the phone. I couldn't believe that that's what he said to me. And then I said, uh, 
well, maybe I should go to Princeton. He said, you're not smart enough to go to Princeton. So uh, that was the end of that. Um, we passed each other on the Jersey Turnpike as I was heading south and, and he was heading north to Princeton. And uh, the only time that we did play on the same uh, same team was he was the coach of a north-south game uh, my senior year, which I was able to play in. So you played at Johns Hopkins from 1987 to 91. Um, played for two different coaches, two of the stalwarts of the sport you could say uh don zimmerman and tony seaman four ncaa tournament appearances uh 88 quarterfinals 89 runner-up uh 91st round and the 91 quarterfinals what do you remember about that runner-up appearance you lost by one goal to syracuse do you remember like it was yesterday is that the kind of thing that sticks with you yeah it was the gary gate paul gate dave petromala game it was at the university of maryland it was thirty thousand people bird stadium was you know it was it was still on college campuses and I just remember walking out, not during the warm-ups, but walking out after putting our uniforms on and not feeling the ground. You know what I mean? Just getting all of a sudden I was from the locker room to the sideline, and I don't think my feet touched the ground. And it was uh, it was an unbelievable game. It, it's still one of the greats to go down in history, that 89 championship game. And, um, you know, sometimes you're born at the wrong time. And uh, unfortunately, Gary and Paul Gate were born a little bit older than me, and they had one hell of a run, too tremendous players but to play alongside of Brian Volker and uh, Billy Dwan, Dave Petromala and Matt Panetta uh, those guys and um, you know we had we had one hell of a run at Johns Hopkins and uh, it'll be a memory forever. Close your career with your senior season you had uh, 18 goals nine assists you were a captain in 1991 north south all-stars you mentioned before you received the Turnbull Reynolds trophy for sportsmanship and leadership uh, in your senior year uh, do, uh, what do you remember about your senior year and, and did you feel fulfilled as you kind of close your career yeah i mean certainly would like to go out with it with, with a ring at that point in time and didn't i just remember the responsibility of being a captain uh and being that was like the the high school thing uh, i think you get voted captain just because you're you're probably the, the best player or one of the better players on the team um you know in college it is a you know it's a peer type deal and uh and to be voted a captain with alongside Billy Dwan and Brian Volker. You know, Billy Dwan is, is coaching at Hopkins now. Brian's the head coach at Drexel. And we're still very, very close as we were, you know, back in, in those days. Um, really good year. Uh, you know, a, a lot of fun. And, uh, again, just came up short there at the end uh, and, and a little bit too of an early exit uh, out of the playoffs. But just remember my experience at Hopkins being, you know, one of many highlights in my life. I've been very fortunate. Uh, you wore number 13 in college. Is that accurate? I did. I wore it because uh, my uncle uh, my uncle wore number 13. And um, I was going to say, yeah, there could be some superstitious stuff no, involved there. Yeah, there was a connection. So I, I wore it in, in just in respect of him and, and everything that he did, did for me. Um, Obviously, he's you know you know considered one of the best, if not the best, lacrosse coach in the country, and uh, I wore it out of respect for him. His son wore it, um, and uh, you know so that's uh, that was just to keep the tradition going. So before we close your uh, collegiate playing career, I have a quick trivia question for you. Do you know how many hat tricks you had in your career? Uh, I think one. You actually had two. Do you know? Do you know the opponents? Um. Uh, I, I think one was against Washington College. Correct. Uh, you know, back in maybe my my sophomore year. I don't remember. Junior. Junior year, and then the other one I think was probably against uh, uh, maybe an ACC team. Uh, May first, nineteen ninety one. May first, nineteen ninety one. North Carolina. Nope, your your office overlooks the oh, field. Hofstra, yeah, it was here. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, that is right. It was. Uh, I didn't get off to a uh, to a great start. Was actually injured that game. Uh, had two broken hands, uh, two bones that were that were just broken, and I was in casts in both hands. But I wasn't missing the Hofstra game. Um, came out in the second half, and uh, remember uh, halftime speech not going great with the coach. Um, and uh, just felt uh, you know a little bit of pressure. Finally relaxed in the second half and threw a couple of goals in in the uh, in the second half uh, for a victory here uh, in Shewitt Stadium. Uh, I, I absolutely and, and still have a copy of that game. Uh, during your time at Hopkins as a player, you played with uh, Dave Petromala and Quint Kretzenetz. Yep. Uh, just talk. Uh, obviously, there was many great players. Those are probably the two of the most famous, just because where their careers have advanced to at this point. Um, can you just talk about the relationships you forged and guys like that who you're still might be friendly with? So, um, uh, Dave Petromala, 
the best lacrosse player that that I played with, uh, no, hands down. I mean, he was a guy. He was a game changer. He was a guy that um, there wasn't any question on who he was going to cover. Uh, you know, I, I think one of Coach Petro's, uh, you know, regrets was he didn't, you know, he wasn't a, a, a fabulous practice guy. You know, didn't he was like, you know, he wanted to play in games. And, you know, he was one of maybe the only guy that Gary Gate and Paul Gate had to hesitate for. Uh, he was a guy that could, he could take the ball from him. He could stop him. He was a fabulous athlete. And, and he just had this, this desire to just achieve in games and, and to play against him every day in practice um, and to get dressed in the same uniform as what many could, would consider the best defenseman to ever play, um, you know, certainly was an honor. Quinn Kesnick, uh, I remember he was a, you know, he was a sophomore when I was a freshman and, uh, you know, Quint is a competitor's competitor. You know, he was a, uh, a three-sport star. He was a tremendous wrestler. Um, and his instincts and his reflexes were so fast. I mean, there were days in practice where he did not wear a chest protector uh, in as a goal position in the goal position back then, where some guys could let it go, and he was just would just rely on his hands. And a tremendous competitor uh, outside the goal, he could he could you know get fast breaks going. Had a wonderful stick, and uh, he he just knew his opponent. And uh, again, he's has a successful career in broadcasting now. And um, you know I, I I enjoy keeping in touch with both of those guys. Uh, and again, there's there's others out there. Brendan Kelly was a was a fabulous uh, midfielder. Uh, John D, James D. Tommaso, uh, Brian Volker, all those guys. They were great players. Uh, so following your uh, collegiate career at Hopkins, you then uh, spent three years as a player for the uh, New York Saints. Two years as an assistant coach. Were they playing at the Coliseum <laughs> at that point? Yep. Yeah. So uh, you know, again, that, that indoor box game was just starting to get going in the uh, in the states. My uncle had played for the Long Island Tomahawks. Uh, and I was a mascot one game, and I got dressed up as this little Indian. I'll never forget it. And walking out on the floor of Nassau Coliseum, and they had a guy on the team named Doug Hayes. He was a Canadian player that can shoot the ball a million miles an hour. And uh, I was kind of collecting the balls, and Doug Hayes, uh, he hit the pipe, and it then drilled me right in the chest. Uh, and I, I didn't know what to do, and my uncle came running over to me, and he goes, are you all right? Don't cry. Are you all right? Don't cry. And there was, uh, you know, 10,000 people in the stands, and I kind of took my little uh, my little Indian hat and got off the, got off the floor. But that was my intro- first introduction to box lacrosse. Um, I knew that you know teams needed left hands, left-handed players. So I did try out, and I was fortunate enough to make it and, and dress in a bunch of games, and and uh, I really enjoyed the game. I you know got a chance to to play against those guys that I played alongside with in college, and uh, and it was a great run. Uh, again, some injuries, uh, two torn ACLs, uh, kind of shortened it a little bit, but it was uh, it was a really good run. So at that point, you finally decided to hang up the uh, lacrosse stick, except for maybe some coaching now. Uh, 1995, you joined the Hofstra staff. So it's all come full circle. You grew up on Long Island. Now you're back on Long Island in coaching. You spent uh, 1995 to 2000 as assistant coach here at Hofstra University. Four NCAA tournament appearances, a quarterfinal appearance in 1999, working for uh, John Donowski. Uh, just talk about that experience uh, during your time here, the first time around. Sure. Uh, yeah, I tore my knee for the second time, actually coaching here. But <clears throat> it was time to hang it up, and uh, I wanted to be able to have a catch and, and, and do some sports with my children that I wasn't even married at the time, but I just didn't want to, to ruin the health uh, too bad. So uh, went into the uh, restaurant business, opened up a, uh, you know, a couple of places, but the, the, the big one was a place called The Crease. It was a restaurant bar down in Merrick, and uh, one day, one day uh, John Donowski and his wife and, and his family came in. Uh, I want to say it was a, either a rehearsal dinner or after a wedding, and uh, he was, you know, sitting at one of the tables, and uh, I said, listen, if you ever have an opening, I, I would like to get back into coaching, and he said, it's done. We got a, you know, a volunteer spot and the hours are going to be tough. So, you know, we were practicing in the mornings at that point and I was closing the bar at 4 a.m. and taking the staff out to breakfast and then coming right to Hofstra. Um, I just loved it so much. It didn't matter. And I got a few hours of sleep during the day before we had to get the restaurant up and going again. And it was a great run. You know, John Donowski, I'll, I'll forever be indebted to as he gave me my first shot into coaching. And, uh, 
just learned so much from that man on, uh, you know, he, he certainly looks at life uh, in his way. And it was great to learn from someone that was so strong in his values. And he just did a wonderful job in, in, in mentoring me. Um, you know, I remember the first game that we coached together. It was against Brown. And uh, I, I do have a, uh, I do have a, a few pieces of, you know, DNA and, and wired a little bit like my uncle. So he's a little excited on the sidelines. And my first game, I was so excited. I remember the, uh, the athletic director here was Jim Garvey, and he was in these, uh, he was in these wild pants. And I just remember looking over to the to the right and going, "Wow, those pants are a little loud for the sideline." I was just, it was just one of those things that I remember. Um, and uh, a call didn't go our way, and I was, uh, I got excited with the refs. And I remember we, we we won that game, and we got back into the coach's locker room, and we uh, were taking a shower, and and Coach Danowski looked over to me and he goes. There's a pretty good chance we're not going to win the sportsmanship award this year, huh? And I said, I, I apologize. I, I, I lost my mind out there. He goes, I like your passion. You're in the right business, um, and uh, and let, let's just move forward. So it was a good. That was my first game with John Donowski, and we had many many memories. Uh, certainly um, through that that point in time, and then uh, you know competing against him a little bit, and then uh, and now you know come really come full circle. I'm sitting in a chair that he sat in at one point in time, and we're on the same staff for the USA team. We'll get back to Coach Donowski a little bit later in this, but. Uh, you talked about opening a couple restaurants while you were starting your coaching career. How much did that time forge you as who you become today, having to manage so many different aspects <laughs> of your life while you're trying to start what you feel at that point is the career path you want to choose? Yeah, I mean, I loved I loved life in the fast lane a little bit. You know, I, uh, I had a little part-time job when I was at Hopkins working at a bar and bartending and putting some extra money in my pocket. And my family was into businesses. We had uh, a deli. Uh, we had a, a dry cleaners. We had a card and gift store. So I, I always loved the action that was going on. And um, so that part of it had the, the parts that I guess helped me today is coaching is like a business. You know, the players are employees and you have to manage uh, different players and different roles. And you have bartenders and you have cooks and you have waitresses and you have busboys and you have attackmen and you have middies and you have goalies and you have defensemen and you have different things. And for that part, there's fundraising, there's budgets, there's all these things that really parallel what business is about. So that really helped me in, in some of the, uh, in, in the office aspects of what's going on. And then it's just dealing with people. And then anytime that you love what you're doing, um, yeah, there's going to be some ups and downs, but the passion is always going to be there. And the passion for business and the passion for lacrosse, uh, I've been, you know, I, I still got a lot of years to go, but I've been very blessed with, you know, a mom that allowed me to, to live my life, a dad that afforded me some opportunities and, uh, and a family that has let me kind of go in different directions. When you when you pick up a, when you pick up your family and your wife, who's one of eight from this Irish family, and uh, you say we're going to move to Baltimore and, and start coaching at Hopkins, and everyone still lives around here, and she says I'm with you, you know, uh, you know, whenever whatever it takes. And when she did that, you know, my family is, is really has to be thanked for for a lot of those things. And um, you know, that time when I was an assistant here at Hopkins was uh, at Hofstra was uh, was awesome. Uh, the 1999 Hofstra team that you were part of the staff for was the first Hofstra team to play in the quarterfinals here at uh, then Hofstra Stadium. Do you, do you remember that uh, appearance? Awesome, awesome. Uh, just in the locker room and walking out to the field and seeing the whole, you know, we call it the Dutch Dome, uh, the whole Dutch Dome jam-packed. I mean, I, they were asking people to please slide to the right so they can get more people seated, and it was a full house and it was one unbelievable experience uh, our guys i remember just looking in their eyes uh they were in awe of the amount of people that were there and the picture in newsday the overhead picture it's still today is is something that i'll, I'll cherish as a memory um we fought it was uh you know one hell of a game uh came up on the uh, on the losing end um but but one one hell of a game and and certainly you know happy to be happy to be part of it uh, coach, you were on the staff that coached eight All-Americans while you were here, uh, and then one of the players would go on to be the first Twarton Award winner after you then returned to Hopkins, but you would coach him for a couple of years, Doug Shanahan. Uh, what do you recall about the players of that era of Hofstra lacrosse? Is there uh, some that stand up, 
stand out, uh, obviously, other than Doug Shanahan? Sure. I mean, the the players that created what is the theme of Turnpike, uh, the Dutch Dome, that's from those players back then. It was a blue-collar brand of lacrosse, and those guys guys created it. The Brian Langtrees, um, the Jared Testas, the Doug... Excuse me, the Doug Shanahan's, uh, even the ones before that. You know, the guys that I played against, Mike Lacrosse, uh, Joe Corello, uh, you know, Bobby Rayo, uh, Gary Rinaldi, all those guys. Um, they were just fabulous, fabulous players, hard-nosed players, and uh, so we thank them for the, you know, what what the the path that they have paved. Uh, as a, as for Doug Shanahan, um, you know, the guy almost made the New York Jets. You know, you want to talk about athleticism. Um, and, a, and a stubbornness a will to win. He is wired to be great. He was wired to be great back then. Um, he was stubborn to, to coach, but if, if you funneled it in the right way, and it took me a little while as a young coach to, to, to get that down. I, I thought that Doug was sometimes trying to buck the system, but he was just trying to carry the whole team. And he picked up the entire team during many games and carried us to a victory. And for him to get the first Tawaratan Trophy, uh, I still speak to Doug a lot. He's done a wonderful job down in Florida uh, spreading the game and, and what he's done for young people. Uh, again, I couldn't be more proud of Doug and, and his family, um, but he was, uh, he was one of the greats that I had, had a chance to coach. Uh- Another player that very near and dear to your heart, who who you may remark is just as equally as good as Doug Shanahan, uh, Jay Artinian. What do you what do you recall about uh, Jay, our current uh, senior associate director of athletics for facilities, and his uh, playing career as a member of the uh, Pride? So, so I, I came to work one day. Uh, I picked up lunch at uh, Jim's Deli, uh, and I you know he called Coach Danowski on my way in from you know the restaurant, and he said, uh, "We got a guy coming in." Um, from Oneonta, he's transferring in. So I, I got the sandwiches and I said, "Okay, we'll meet the guy." I said, "Did you call?" You know, at you know at that point in time, Jim Nagel was the was the head coach at Oneonta, and uh, so we had called Coach Nagel and said, "Hey, what's this guy Artinian from Manhasset?" You know, when you heard Manhasset, you were like, "Wow, this guy's got to be pretty good." And uh, Jim Nagel said, and we'll never forget it, Jay Artinian is too good for our program. And I remember Coach Danowski and I just locking eyes back then and going, "Really?" He goes. He's a he's a he's a, he's a, just a good lacrosse player, not great, but as a person, he's wonderful. And then Jay Artinian came, you know, walking into our room, and uh, you know, for everybody out there that has seen Jay, you know, he is a uh, short in stature, and uh, um, his his physique has not changed much from back then. Um, but you want to talk about. Uh, I don't want to use the word Rudy, but you want to talk about a guy that would do anything for his team. And I think that even holds true today in his in his role here at Hofstra. He is loved by everyone, um, and you know he just gets things done. Uh, and for him, him to be part of the team, he did whatever he could do. He was a great teammate. Uh, I remember in uh, at Brown University, uh, in the shower room, we had put in we had put in a special opening play because we just wanted to get him a goal and he was number two back then and um and we set it up and it, it just didn't happen I don't know if the ball bounced out of his stick or we couldn't do it but you want to talk about every guy in that shower that was just walking through I mean we were just ready to go out for the game and just walking through a play everybody was on their toes trying to make this happen and that just goes to show the character of of J.R. Tinian he is uh He's just been a wonderful asset to Hofstra from way back when till uh, till today. I uh, <clears throat> I asked that question knowing how highly you think of Jay. I did expect the answer to slightly go a different frame yeah. of mind. Maybe you were gonna crack a joke or two, but that's just as good. Jay is. Uh, uh, I mean, he, I, I think you know. Even back then, he was a tic tac from being perfectly round. So his uh, abilities to get from point A to point B, uh, there was usually a rest stop involved. So you uh, conclude your assistant coaching career at Hofstra in 2000, then go on to go back to Hopkins from 2001 to 2006, assistant coach, and then last two as associate head coach, two quarterfinals, two semifinals, one runner-up, and then in 2005, maybe one of the greatest lacrosse seasons in the in the nation's history, 16 and 0 championship, perfect season. Uh, just what do you remember about that championship season? Yeah, I you know, if you back it up one year, I had an opportunity. I was offered the Stony Brook job the year before. 
and I remember flying up and Coach Petromala uh, calling me, my wife and I, and uh, you know, before we walked into the interview and said, listen, you know, we can do this. We don't want to lose you. And, and it was really humbling. It really was. But, you know, it, as an assistant coach, you're always looking to become that head coach. And then right before I walked into the athletic director's office at Stony Brook, I had gotten, <coughs> excuse me, a, a phone call from, a, a, from, there was a couple of guys on the other line and it was, uh, it was Kyle Harrison, um, it was Pete Lasor, it was Chris Watson, it was Matt Rakowski, and they, those guys were all going to be seniors. And uh, they said, Coach, we want what's best for you, but um, we really just don't want you to go. We think we've got something special going. And, and they were right, they did. That senior class had been through an awful lot, and they were very talented. And uh, <clears throat> I went through the, uh, the interview, and um, as I was walking around Stony Brook's campus, uh, I couldn't stop thinking of those guys and the impact that they've had on me. And th I was at Stony Brook interviewing because of their hard work. And uh, they had put me on the map. And at that point in time, if, we, if I kept on saying how important the team was, then I, I, I had to be a good teammate, teammate then as well. And I decided not to take the head coaching job and to go back to, uh, to Hopkins and, uh, and see this thing through. And, uh, and irony had it. That, that following year, it was a 16-0 and year. Uh, what a ride. Uh, the players on that team, the people on that team, they were unbelievable. Uh, the friendships are still strong today. Um, again, my, my son and my daughter were, were young then, but Ryan Tierney was on the shoulders of Kyle Harrison uh, right after the championship. A huge picture with the championship team, and there's Ryan as a, you know, maybe a six-year-old or a five-, six-year-old kid, seven-year-old kid. Um, and uh, just remembering the impact that those guys had on them and, and that year. What a run. Uh, so, many, so many different times we could have lost the game and Kyle Harrison pulled us through and Paul Rabel was a young guy that was throwing the ball in the goal and Jesse Schwartzman was in the goal. Uh, Chris Watson, what an unbelievable person and player. Uh, you know, Greg Pizer. I mean, again, it was uh, the hits, to, the, the stars it was after stars there and they've all gone on to have wonderful careers. Uh, but again, to be in the White House, to, to see Ryan Tierney have a conversation with what was then President Bush, um, you know, uh, the night of the of the championship game, uh, you know, walking into the, the post-game party and the roar. It was pretty cool. So you lost a championship game by one goal, won a championship game by one goal. Do, do you remember the feelings of both as those as the clock was ticking off? Yeah, you know, you just, uh, you think back, uh, not many people, because it's not on TV today, but not many people remember those, that wide world of sports, that big uh, introduction to that TV show, and you see the, that downhill skier wipe out, um, and, and, you know, you talk about the agony defeat, and uh, that one was tough. When, you're, when you lose by a goal uh, in front of 30, 40, 50,000 people, um, you know, you feel like you're just everybody's staring at you, and then when you win uh, by a goal, and and the way that 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 team won in 2005, um, you feel like you're staring at everybody, and it's uh, it's just a weird it's a weird scenario. But again, unbelievably thankful. Um, I don't know where the, the necessarily where the championship ring is. It's somewhere in my house. I don't wear it. Uh, I don't. I'm not a you know a flashy guy like that. Uh, I wear the memories inside, and that's what carries me uh, and just drives the the passion for coaching. So you turn down the job at what would turn out to be Hofstra's Long Island rival, stay for a year at Hopkins, win a tight national title with a perfect season, and then the next off season, now you accept the job at Hofstra. Do you remember the? time frame around that and how that transpired one, one year difference the following year i did go back to hopkins uh after in 2006 and oh, uh my apologies yeah, right yeah, yeah in 2006 and the irony of bringing that up is um i was standing in the tunnel uh at stony brook and you know those are my boys out there hofstra was playing umass in what ultimately would become one of the toughest losses if not not the toughest loss in hofstra history and I just remember standing in the tunnel, you know, dressed in the Hopkins colors at the time, ready to go out and warm up the team that I was coaching and just feeling so hurt that those guys were what they were going through. It was one of those quicksand feelings. 
where you just felt that the the air in the balloon was just slowly dripping out and they couldn't do anything about it. It was just a, a slow motion car accident. The guys were trying and, and, and guys were selling out and I didn't know the Untersteins then and you know and there were three of them on the team then. Um, but but to see John Donowski Joe Amplo, Sean Smith, the guys that I, I was in the same foxhole with for years, and to see them hurting, it was it was hard. I remember walking up to them after the game before I went out to, to warm up the goalies and, uh, you know, and just feeling their pain and watching them literally just pick up guys off the field. And uh, they got off the field, and I started warming up the goalies, and then you want to talk about coming full circle. Uh, I'm warming up the goalie, and... Uh, we're about to play Syracuse at Stony Brook and a ball hits the pipe and it hits Ryan Tierney right in the chest. And you want to talk about what happened to me with my uncle and then what happened with my son. It was just two, two weird things. How can this be happening to both of us? And, you know, Ryan was much tougher than me then and he just took it like a man. Uh, ultimately lost that game to Syracuse, which was my last game at, Hop- uh, at Hopkins. Um, you know, unfortunately, everybody knew about the Duke incident at that point in time. Nobody knew how it was going to play out. And then John Donowski ultimately you know, uh, took the job over at Duke, and that left an opening here at Hofstra. And uh, I got a phone call from the then athletic director, was Jack, Jack Hayes and Danny McCabe. And um, they, uh, they, had, they had flown down to see me at the Baltimore-Washington uh, Airport Marriott. And we sat in the lobby, and we talked for hours. And at that point in time, I really knew I was taking the job. Uh, they did bring me up here, and we went out to dinner, and I, you know, I, I did see Jay, and I got to get a chance to see some familiar faces. And uh, he had offered me the job, and I was uh, flying back down, and uh, I remember driving right to the football field where my son had practiced, and my wife was sitting in a lawn chair, and she just looked in my eyes, and she said, are we going? And I said, uh, I said yeah, we're going. And uh, Jay had sent me a text. He goes, you know, in, in his way, what a great day to have you back on campus today. I hope you do this, and I hope you come up. And it was just that warm feeling, and it just felt right. The Stony Brook one, it just didn't feel right. And the Hofstra one, it felt right. And uh, from that point on, you know, my life had changed so much for the better, and I can be closer to my mom who was, you know, battling cancer at the time. And, uh, and then just to be back on the turnpike coaching the Dutch Domers was, uh, was certainly um, a dream come true. So that summer of 2006, heading into the fall, uh, you, you talked about a little bit being on the field watching Hofstra lose, and uh, somebody else who's a uh, you know Hofstra born and raised here. You know, I remember that day like it was yesterday, and you met, you mentioned it, arguably one of the, most, the hardest defeats in Hofstra history to watch, uh, and everybody who's associated with it remembers that. So now you get the job, uh, then you learn about the Nick Collori as the fall develops. Uh, just talk about that time. It, I mean, it's just a remarkable time just in terms of happiness and sadness uh, for your career, your program at this point, and Hofstra University uh, just in the span of, like, four months. Yeah, it was, a, it was a wild ride. So, you know, we accept the position here. Um, and uh, my first phone call was, was Nick Collori. And, you know, obviously it was a powerful phone call. I had ne- never met him yet, uh, but I just called him and I told him, I said, listen, I got the, the entire roster in front of me with all of the numbers, and you were the first one to call. And uh, I just want to let you know that we're looking forward to having you back in the locker room. If there's anything I can do, uh, I had some friends down at, at Hopkins, um, Dr. Blumenthal, you know, huge connections with the Hopkins Hospital. And if there's anything that, that you know, that this family can do for your family, um, you know, when you talk about lacrosse, you talk about everybody really being on one, um, one under one umbrella. And... Uh, Driving up, uh, you know, I remember sitting in the chair the first time and, and just kind of doing some spins. I remember the press conference. Uh, I remember, I remember thank- <clears throat> being so excited that I thanked President Schuert and President Rabinowitz was in the in the crowd, and um, and I messed that one up. So on the first day of the job, I had to apologize to the to my to the boss at the top, and uh, you know I, I didn't feel great about myself there, but. The excitement, the support, everything was there. And, uh, you know, I remember calling John Donowski and, um, you know, our relationship had, you know, gone through a little bit of a twist and a turn as, you know, I, I was taking over a seat that he was leaving and it was there was some bumps there. But he just wished me luck and, uh, you know, told me a few things about where the, the program was at. 
and uh, you know, I got a phone call from Sean Smith, and and then we, you know, we we kept Joe Amplo, who was a, a candidate for the job at the time, and we made some hires, and we started recruiting, and and uh, you know, we went off and you know just got the ball rolling a little bit, and called some you know sponsors, and got some help, and really got you know pumped some some fresh oxygen into the program, and remember the first game. Uh, was against UMass, and ironically, you know, uh, that was the team that they had lost the bookend games to the year before, the first game and the last game of the year, and uh, we got a chance to beat UMass, and it was a low-scoring game. I want to say maybe it was 7-5 or 8-6 or something like that, but I remember walking off the field and just seeing everybody's face going, wow, you know, that was that was awesome. Both both teams had lost a lot of guys, but uh, it was uh, it was certainly the first win and the first game of my career, and uh, I was just happy for the fellas because I know how heartbroken they were just a few months prior. 2008 to 2011, you leave you lead Hofstra to four straight NCAA tournament appearances, first time in program history. Uh, did you realize the historical significance of that, and just kind of, or was it just part of the process of leaving the program at that point? Yeah, it was just you know each year has a different meaning, and and you know what is. As, as whatever people want to say, there's obviously there's programs out there uh, that that go to the tournament a lot, um, but there's a lot of luck involved. You know, I, I look back to that 2005 year. You know, Kyle Harrison has got a blown out back and he's under acupuncture, and we're just literally walking him into the stadium and, and just blood and he blood blood and guts it through the whole scenario, and guys were hurt. But injuries and timing and and uh, you know uh, highs and lows and streaks and slumps, all these things play a role. And magically, sometimes they just have to come together. And you know those that that four year run, there was some great leaders, there were some great players. Lacrosse was was at a different place back then, and uh, and uh, so proud of of those guys. You know they they, they accomplished an awful lot uh, during those four years, and certainly for the four, for the freshmen and through the se- their senior year, they went to four championships. That's a pretty unique scenario. Um, and again, you know, trying to get back to the NCAA tournament now. But what a what a great run! And to see you know Jr. Tinian and, and his crew keep putting up those uh, those metal banners in the stands, NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament. That's certainly a warm feeling, and it just pumps a lot of confidence in the in the next year's team. One thing I've noticed during your time here at Hofstra is, is the level of embrace you have for the alumni program and how they've returned the favor, and especially the event that you run preseason every year, the face-off dinner. Uh, just talk about the support of the program and, and why it's so important to you and why you have embraced so much of what the history of Hofstra lacrosse is. Yeah, I mean, John Donowski taught me. He, he, there's no getting around it. He taught me, you know, you know just the, the passion you need to have and the purity you need to have to be a coach. And so I knew, you know, it was fortunate that I was an assistant coach here. And I just literally, every time Dino turned around, I was standing there. I just wanted to learn about everybody. So I knew a lot of the alums and they embraced me when I got back, but I just wanted to continue what he was doing and possibly take it to a whole new level uh, if it was possible. And uh, so, you know, I reached out and, and, and started some events and, you know, the golf, I remember the first golf outing, I just played a par three you know, 24 times and just took the golf cart back and forth. So I at least played one hole of golf with everybody at the golf tournament. And I just wanted to shake hands and meet people and thank them. And, um, you know, from that point on, the, the support was been, has been there. Uh, the events, the, the, you know, seeing them in the parking lot, sometimes, you know, before a home game, before I get here, uh, those guys just, uh, you know, getting ready to support our team. Um, you know, and again, we haven't even talked about uh, the financial support. Which I'm just talking about the emotional support and the, the love, the support for the love of Hofstra Lacrosse and all those guys coming back. You know, I, I couldn't thank them enough. And our guys, when they write letters and emails before games and I read them to our guys, it would say, it's a it's a huge it's a huge thing for all of us and it's just a sign of a tight-knit program and one look one really great lacrosse family uh, and then certainly financially you know when you talk about uh, Jim Metzger to start off with uh, you know what he's done in my 10 years here is incredible I mean again we're talking about well over two million dollars in in giving uh you know Mr. Marty Greenberg is on the board of trustees uh Arno Freed on the board of trustees um you know 
hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, upwards to, towards millions of dollars that they have given. Um, a lot of it because they love Hofstra lacrosse. A lot of it in you know in, in our friendship and their support of, of me and, and and you know it's a good time to thank them publicly uh, in regards to do that. Um, and then everyone else uh, that's joined the Hofstra Hundred Club or has you know has done certain things for our program. Uh, Mr. Peratini, uh, Steve Riley, P.J. Bajornaby, uh, Jay Sullivan, uh, Chris. All of Doug Hall, all of these guys, guys that didn't even come to Hofstra, but they are huge uh, fans and supporters and friends. And uh, I couldn't thank them enough. And that all goes all the way through to someone that if they can afford to give $10, uh, that's just as that's just as good, if not better, because uh, they're doing as much as they can do. Oh, this interview has been so great. So we're trying to I'm going to try to wrap it up next. A few questions here so we can yep. get to the good stuff. Let's uh, let's move on to. Uh, we talked about it before. Some of the coaches that you've been associated with in your career, it's really just an amazing list. Uh, Zimmerman, Seaman, Petromala, Donowski, and some of you didn't even work for, your uncle. Uh, obviously, they've all played a major role in who you've become. Just uh, how fortunate are you to be to be touched by those guys and all in some way? I think that you know you go back to when you're you're a parent or even when you're a coach. You're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. If you surround yourself with great people, you're gonna you're, you're gonna be forced to be great. You're gonna be forced to at least try to be great. And uh, if you surround yourself with people that are making bad decisions, ultimately that's what's gonna happen. So when you you know you start with the list that you just said, you got to start with Bill Tierney. You know he's a, a mentor. He has played a fatherly role in my career and in my life. And I could never thank him enough. You know, I, I, he was the the guy that ultimately, you know, uh, uh, talked about the Stony Brook position. Um, he even asked me when he left Princeton, do you want to take Princeton over? And I, I was just too happy at Hofstra to leave Hofstra to go to Princeton. I mean, I had everything that I wanted right here. Uh, and then, and then John Donowski would be, you know, coming in second there because he gave me my first opportunity and introduced me to this coaching profession that I have had a passion for and, and maybe didn't even know it. Dave Petromala, uh, you know, uh, a guy that had hired me. I was a, a volunteer assistant at Hofstra University, and he made me the offensive coordinator at Johns Hopkins um, to have that jump and that leap and that responsibility. Just an unbelievable situation there, and I, I couldn't thank him enough. Uh, my coaches. Uh, you know, uh, Don Zimmerman, you know, took a chance on what, you know, going back in time, a Division three body and a Division one stick and, you know, ultimately, you know, played on a on a second midfield and a first midfield for him. And, and then Tony Seaman uh, taking over my senior year and allowing me to be a captain and and play on that first midfield and and uh, and have a pretty successful senior year. I, I, I couldn't be, you know, I couldn't be happier with that big group of guys you know uh, all those names are are monuments in in our sport uh, but all the assistant coaches uh, they have played such a role as well Brian Volker Bill Dwan Joe Amplo um, Sean Smith Ron Caputo you know you know Matt Rakowski you talk about all of these guys and many more uh, you know John Gorman Kevin Unterstein JP Brazel you know all of these guys that have played a huge role in my life and have allowed me to to have some success and and, and to get the credit for it but the credit really belongs to them as well now another area of your career that's kind of been special to you is uh, your Team USA uh, assistant coaching career. Uh, it's special in a number of ways, obviously because you're representing the United States of America, as I'm guessing. And then uh, it's very much got a Hofstra connection to it as well. Uh, Coach Janowski, you, Joe Amplo, Kevin Understein, Steve DiNapoli. Uh, how, how special is that aspect of it, the two-pronged part of Team USA and then the so much – Team Hofstra is part of it as well. Um, <clears throat> a, a little bit of a touching moment with the you know with this question. So I hear that uh, that John Donowski is going to be the head coach, and uh, you know I, if if you're going to be applied to be an assistant coach for the world team, you're going to want to work for someone that that you care about, that you love, that you have some history with. And uh, so I remember I remember applying for the job, and I think there was 30 to 33 applicants for three spots and uh, I sent it in and uh, you know I talked to Vinny Sombrato who was on the uh, on on a committee there and you know that they, they, they talked about it and then I reached out to coach Danowski and there was a point in time and this is obviously uh, as real as it gets 
where our relationship uh, hit a, a, a bunch of speed bumps. You know, that the Duke incident went down, and I was at Hopkins, and the next game that Duke was going to play was against Hopkins, and, you know, we were told that we cannot go down to Duke. Uh, you know, the Hopkins team was not going to Duke, and they weren't coming to us, and, you know, Coach Danowski was certainly emotional. His son was on the team. It was a very, very, uh, very touchy point in, in that that part of his life, and, uh and our relationship had taken a couple of wild turns and, and almost, you know, really not even speaking to each other. And, uh, you know, through the course of time, we would see each other at some at uh, some coaches conventions and things like that. So I'm standing in my in my living room and I'm I, I call Coach Danowski and I just say, hey, um, I, I just want if, if you if, if you have a staff in mind then I'll just call U.S. Lacrosse and I'll, I'll withdraw my application. I also am calling because I don't want to make this any harder on you. I want you to enjoy this. You deserve it. And uh, you probably deserved it the last time, but you deserve it. And um, we had a moment on the phone that was about as real as it gets. And I got a chance to say why our relationship had taken some turns, and he got a chance to say it. And by the time we were done, you know, and saying, listen, Coach Danowski, I, I didn't have any say with the Duke scenario. And then that ultimately leads me into sitting in your chair that you're leaving. And, you know, uh, however you left Hofstra, that was your situation. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't talk because ultimately the second or third question was going to be, well, how you doing? Well, how you doing? And you didn't really care how I was doing because I was at a place that you just left. So it was hard. But for us to air it out, and, and then ultimately, uh, you know, for me to get selected by that committee to represent, you know, Team USA and to do it alongside John Donowski and Joe Amplo, where there are Hofstra ties, uh, Turnpike guys, um, it is it has just made the uh, an unbelievable uh, dream scenario even better. And, uh, you know, we got together at the first event and Coach Danowski said, uh, you know, can anybody give me the definition of a turnpike guy? You know, he's been coaching at Duke now for 11 years. And his first question to Team USA was, do you know what a turnpike guy is? And Coach Amplo explained it because he had played here. And uh, so Hofstra's connection to Team USA is strong. It's really strong. And we talk, we talk all the time now as we're in the selection process uh, to picking the team. And I can't wait to uh, obviously be on the sidelines with them again uh, in, in, in this run. Two more questions. Oh, one fun one, one family. Uh, Bill Belichick, head coach of the New England Patriots, uh, seems to be an enormous Johns Hopkins lacrosse fan. Uh, two, two questions here. Uh, why is he such a fan of Hopkins lacrosse? And uh, I believe there's a relationship with you and him. Uh, can you talk about that? Sure. Uh, he's a big fan of, of Hopkins lacrosse. Uh, you know, his son played lacrosse. And he played at Rutgers. Um, and when he when his son was going through the recruiting process, Coach Belichick would go to, uh, you know, top 205 or whatever the recruiting camps were at that time. And, uh, you know, he's got some family down in the Maryland area. And um, we got a chance, Coach Petromala, you know, I got a chance to meet him. Um, and uh, one day at, 205, at that 205 camp, uh, he brought Coach Belichick over to, to, to meet me. And we sat and we talked on the field for a while. And we we kind of hit it off. And uh, obviously at my time that I just had left Hopkins, you know, Coach Belichick and Coach Petromala's relationship is, is really strong. Uh, I, you know, I do, uh, I do text with Coach Belichick, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, couple times a year, once a month, uh, whatever it may be. I try to leave him alone, but I want him to know that we're supporting him. He does have some Hop uh, Hofstra clothes, um, but his his loyal relationship to Hopkins is there, and, and, and I can't fault him for that. Um, Coach Belichick has been, without him even knowing, has been a – uh, a huge inspiration for me. I watch him on the sidelines. Uh, I, I listen to his, his post-game talks. Uh, I get a chance to speak with him or text with him and the words that he sends back. I, he sent me a text back uh, the morning of the Super Bowl this year. I mean, Super Bowl morning. Uh, I just, you know, and literally my texts are, do not reply, just letting you know we're with you. And uh, this this Super Bowl, I had to send out two text messages because Dan Quinn was a was a lacrosse a football coach here at Hofstra, and uh, you know I was kind of with him too. So those guys may not know, but I was with both of them. And uh, but Coach Belichick sent the text back that morning, and 
he goes, I feel really good about it. We had a good, a really good week of preparation, Seth, and and I hope you're, uh, I hope you guys enjoy the game, and and I'll catch up with you after the game, and um, but I feel good. And then certainly at the end of the third quarter, I was reading Coach Belichick's text, and they were down by what, what seemed like by a hundred, and then slowly, you know, you start to see the craziness of sports. Uh, you know, goes back to that that UMass Hofstra game, and uh, you know, at that point in time, that's what was taking place with the Falcons, and Coach Belichick came out on top, and obviously. Uh, sent him a text and uh, he got right back to me and, and and I just told him I said I hope you enjoy fishing and you know get out of here for a while and you know I see him at the at the Hopkins practices and and that's great you know as, as, as what what he does but we do speak you know we do speak often. Um, Marvin Lewis, uh, the coach of the Bengals, and I, we have a very good relationship as well. His son played lacrosse when he was in the Baltimore area and was the D coordinator for the, for the Baltimore Ravens. And then certainly uh, Dan Quinn, you know, his relationship here at Hofstra and, and all those guys that, that coached football here back then uh, that are having some NFL careers. Uh, we, we, st- we keep in touch with those guys. So uh, Dan Quinn, I got a chance to send him a, a Hofstra football uh, travel bag that was left over in a closet. And uh, he wrote a letter back and it literally brought a tear to his eye because there was some special moments here. Um, Hofstra is a really special place for, uh, you know, for guys that coach sports here. Um, it, it's just a uniqueness and guys always remember it when they leave or they remember it when they stay. So uh, just some people that we know and obviously, you know, Jay Wright and uh, and then John Cooper, you know, you talk about guys at the highest level uh, coaching the Tampa Bay Lightning um, and Villanova basketball. Last question, maybe obviously the most special question to you, uh, your wife Maureen, son Ryan, and uh, daughter Erin, uh, your son, uh, one, talk about how much the, the, the family aspect is important to you, and then if you could just touch on having a son, coaching a child in college, uh, and how unique that is, and just quit, you don't have to go too crazy, but uh, were you coach Tierney or dad Tierney? Uh, while he was being recruited because he's obviously a very talented player. Yeah, I mean, he... uh so we go through the recruiting process. He's recruited by you know several schools and, and a lot of great ones. And um, but he he never really strayed far from Hofstra, and uh, he he tried to commit several times and I wouldn't let him. And uh, I said, you go and you go and visit. And you know my uncle played a role in it. Um, he was like, do you want to come to you want to come to Denver and you know. But he was very touchy. He was like, listen, I coach my sons and I don't want to interfere on what's going on there. And then one night he just came into my wife and I's bedroom and, you know, I'm, I go to bed pretty early and he just, he put his foot down. He just said, uh, enough of you telling me I'm not committing to Hofstra and uh, I'm, I'm committing to Hofstra and I'm doing it right now. And, uh, and I just said, why, you know, why are you doing this? I needed to hear from him that it was for the right reasons and it was for him and not for me. And, uh, and he just rattled off a bunch of things. He's like, you know, I'm a homebody. And do you really think that I'm going to be happy going somewhere else, knowing that we could be making memories together? And the guys on the team, the, 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 the great place that Hofstra is, uh, I, I just love everything about it. And, um, and my wife started crying and, you know, now I'm going to bed late. And it was one of those moments that was just awesome. And I just remember my wife, you know, just staring at the ceiling going, I cannot believe that this day has happened, you know, from where, where it took place and when it started, uh, when he was a little guy just getting his first stick. So that part of it was cool, the recruiting process. And then, uh, then leading up to it, you know, uh, again, playing a role of, of a dad, uh, and and coaching him, but coaching him in the right way, uh, so that he stays engaged in the game, and he, he loves it for him and not for me. Uh, and then the summer before, you know, this past summer, saying, "Bud, you know, his uh, we're here now, right? Like, you know, you're waiting online at, at at Great Adventure, and you finally get to the ride. You know, you're finally right there, and you're gonna, you know, the." The, the, the roller coaster is going to be pulling in and you're going to get on it soon. So let's have this conversation. Um, uh, I can't wait for you to move in. I can't wait for it. It's going to be awesome. But just, just please know uh, it can't be close. You need to prove to your teammates that you deserve to play if you're going to play. And you also need to know that if you don't deserve to play, you're not. Um, I have a job to do. I have, you know, uh, you know, a, a, just an, an alliance and an allegiance to the university to do the right thing. And he goes, Dad, I got it. 
and he worked his his behind off and did a great job. And from the moment that he went out there, he was just he was comfortable, and uh, he's earned everything he's got. For that, I am thankful to him because he had made my life a lot easier. Uh, there was some jokes that were made or some pastimes, and I think it was Al McGuire, maybe at Marquette, where he you know I did some research. And he goes, if you have your son play for you, he's either got to be one of the, you know, a really good or he's got to be really bad, you know, because if he's really good, then it's obvious. If it's really bad, then then it's not that obvious. And, uh, and or it's obvious the other way and he's not going to play. He goes, the problems that you get is when your son is just, he's fighting for playing time. And, and Al McGuire had a situation where a guy came in and said, you know, I think I should be playing over whatever his son's name was. And Al McGuire back then said, um, listen, you're a very similar player, but he's my son and I love him. And that's why he's starting. And back then you could say that, but it just it, it, that part of it never happened. Ryan earned everything that he's got so far. Uh, this is the beginning of the roller coaster ride for him. Um, I wish him well. I hope he has a great career. This is his run. I've had my run. Uh, I've enjoyed every moment of having him here, of seeing what type of teammate he's become, uh, to seeing you know what he's done for his teammates, what his teammates have done for him, and I just look forward to, to getting back on the field every day with him. Last two family-related questions, actually Ryan-related questions. He wears number 43. Any reason? Is, there, yeah. is 13 not available at Hofstra? 13 was taken by James Kitchen, and Ryan did not. Uh, normally uh, a freshman would come in and if his number is taken then maybe you take the guy out to dinner and you say hey can I get that number Uh, with being the son of the coach he thought that that would be wrong to do. He thought there would be an unadded pressure and he would be taking advantage of a, a situation because James Kitchen would be saying, well, it's the coach's son. How can I not do it? So Ryan decided that I, I don't want to do that to, to James Kitchen. Uh, I'll just take a different number. He wore 26 in high school and that is retired here for Doug Shanahan. And I asked him, even do you want me to call Doug and see if you, you know, maybe you'll wear 26. He goes, no, at this point in time, you know, 43, um, you know, he got a list like every other freshman. And he goes, these are the numbers that are available. And he goes, I'll take 43. And when Jim Kitchen, when he when he leaves, maybe I'll, I'll consider taking 13. Uh, at that point in time, I'm happy with 43. And I think he wears 43 because his sister's number is 43. So he's wearing it for Aaron. That's great. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, he's off to an amazing start here at Hofstra, uh, Rookie of the Week Award. And uh, any, Is there any father-son trash talk from, from the son? No, I, he knows me so well that, um, that it's hard. i got to find new ways to, to, to upset him or to inspire him. You know, I've been doing this so long of playing devil's advocate or walking by him going, hey, it's okay if you're afraid. You don't have to go in and playing a little bit of reverse psychology with him. Uh, he knows. Um, he's, gotten, he's gotten yelled at. I mean, people know that when I yell uh, you know, at you, it's really just a sign of love because I know that there's some potential in there. So he knows that. Um, and he's done well so far. Uh, he's got to rise up to the challenge because every day he does well, it gets harder and harder and, and different guys play you and a different focus is on you. And he just you know just finished up with this Georgetown game where he saw people key in on Josh Byrne. And, uh, and he did his job and, and tightened his belt and carried a little bit more weight. Um, but Josh wasn't scoring goals, but he also saw Josh do some other things that were great for the team. So, you know, Josh Byrne and, and Dylan Oldman and Brendan Kavanaugh and all those guys have done a really good job, uh, you know, with, with just molding Ryan. So um, we'll see how things go and uh, just excited for the next opportunity with him. Well, Coach, this has been an amazing interview. Uh, no offense to Coach Ridioff or any of our other guests because he thinks he had the best one so far. Uh, this is probably the best podcast so far. Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, good luck the rest of the season. No, thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. We're now back with uh, head men's lacrosse coach Seth Tierney for the Pride Five. Uh, coach Tierney, these are just fun, easy questions. Nothing too uh, hard-hitting here. Uh, your favorite restaurant? Uh, my favorite restaurant is uh, is Dominico's. Uh, it's a place in Levittown where I grew up, and just love what that's about. Um, and uh, you know, my favorite high class restaurant would be Brian and Cooper. Uh, they they do a really good job, and uh, I enjoy those that that type of food. Uh, your favorite professional sports team? I'm. You know what? I it, it, really good question uh, in regards to that. I don't have one after being in a sports bar restaurant. You know, sports bar business, whatever 
hat the person at the next table wore. I was a fan because I was just happy they were spending money in our restaurant. Um, you know, I, I always like to see New York teams do well. Um, and then how I'm wired, I, I go against the grain. So if I'm at a function and I see someone that's a, a, a really crazy uh, Cowboys fan, I'll start to say that I was a Pittsburgh fan back in the 80s just to, to upset them. So uh, no, no, nothing real crazy, obviously, for the, my connections, uh, the Bengals, the Patriots, uh, the Falcons, um, you know, those teams, the Tampa Bay Lightning, obviously, I have a, a special connection with those teams. Uh, greatest lacrosse player you ever coached or played with? Oof. Mm. Played with, uh, you know, would be Dave Petromala. You know, I did have, uh, you know, a couple that they, in, in an organized scenario in a in a tournament setting in like the Vale tournament. I, I got to run a you know midfield with with Gary and Paul Gate, and uh, you know that was certainly a treat. Um, the, the, the best player I ever coached. I don't think I could give you one name, but I, I, there's been so many. Um, you know, Kyle Harrison uh, would start a list. Doug Shanahan, uh, Paul Rabel. Uh, you know, guys like that. You know, and and there's going to be guys that are going to be added to that list. And you know, Josh Byrne can add to that list. Uh, you know, and then hopefully, uh, if it's okay, and I come home for dinner, maybe one day I'll add Ryan Tierney to that list. Uh, most memorable Hofstra victory. Memorable Hofstra uh, victory. There's been a bunch of them. There has been a bunch of them. Um, you know, uh, probably that first round game as as an as an assistant to make it to the the quarterfinals here at Hofstra was, was a big one. Uh, knowing what was at stake and and the weight that the guys were playing on playing with. Uh, anytime that you you know a UMass game uh, is there. Uh, the, the Drexel game where we won the CAA championship, you know, a couple years back. Um, you know, there's been a bunch, but certainly we had beaten Hopkins when they were number one. Uh, Carolina, uh, you know, you know there's, a, there's been a bunch, but that, that's just to name a couple. I'm sorry, I'm not sp- as specific as you want. Quite all right. And the final question, this is uh, yeah. via your friend J.R. Tinian. Sure. Uh, your favorite water sport wave runner story. Yeah, yeah. Jay and I, uh, we, we, uh, we own... Uh, jet skis in the and they leave them in uh you know behind my house and we uh we had two of them one uh jay and uh, his friend column are out on it and i'm just teaching them the ways of the water um and columns on the back of jay's and uh jay ran right into me uh and moving you know he he forgot that it doesn't have brakes the brake is is reverse and he didn't know that so he literally with Jay and Column on there. There is a weight limit on it, and they are just underneath the weight limit, but turning is a little bit of a trick, and so they just crashed right into my jet ski, and, uh, you know, they ended up in the water um, to see Column and Jay uh, in life jackets, but in the water trying to get back on a jet ski. Uh, I suggest people before, it should be on everybody's bucket list. Well, Coach, uh, I think that's a good spot to end on, and thank you so much again once again for joining us today on the broadcast. Thanks for having me. Once again, thanks for listening to Pridecast, the official podcast of Hofstra Athletics. And a special thank you to head men's lacrosse coach Seth Tierney for joining us today. Upcoming in Hofstra Athletics, the women's basketball teams at the CAA Championship this week. They open play in the opening round on March 8th against Towson University at noon. Uh, The Hofstra baseball team will host New York Institute of Technology on the 8th as well. Uh, Softball is at the... Oregon Invitational this weekend, uh, and baseball is back in action this weekend at Troy. Uh, men's lacrosse, uh, Coach Tierney's squad plays at the University of North Carolina this weekend, and uh, Shannon Smith's women's lacrosse team will host Johns Hopkins uh, this Saturday, uh, and tennis is also in action at home this weekend as well. Thanks again once for joining us, and uh, go Pride.